welcome to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, October 7th, 2023. The only podcast that separates the facts from the narrative spin. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Trump endorses Jim Jordan for House Speaker. Putin announces the successful test of a nuclear-powered missile. A drone attack on a Syrian military academy kills dozens and wounds hundreds. A Russian strike in Kharkiv kills at least 52. The EU initiates new talks on the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. A jailed Iranian activist wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Trump is accused of revealing U.S. secrets to an Australian businessman. A man is arrested twice in one day for bringing firearms to Wisconsin's capital. The U.S. exceeds expectations by adding 336,000 jobs last month. And the world records its hottest September in history. In our top story, Trump endorses Jim Jordan for House Speaker. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CBS, CNN, Washington Post, and BBC News. After the U.S. House of Representatives voted to remove Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, as House Speaker earlier this week, former President Donald Trump on Friday endorsed Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, to replace the ousted Republican. In a Truth Social post, Trump said Jordan will be a great Speaker of the House and has my complete and total endorsement. In 2019, Jordan had served as Trump's chief defender in his first impeachment trial. The latter awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian award, to the Ohio representative in 2021. Currently serving his ninth term, the Ohio Senator is chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and a member of the House Oversight Committee as well as the House Freedom Caucus. Before endorsing Jordan, who is up against Steve Scalise, Republican of Louisiana, McCarthy's deputy since 2019, Trump had said he would accept the House Speaker's role on a short-term basis to serve as a unifier. The process of picking the next House Speaker is expected to start Tuesday, while the actual vote could come as soon as Wednesday. This follows speculation earlier this week that Trump himself could be a potential option for the House GOP to assume the role of McCarthy's successor. Eric, thank you for laying out the facts on that first story. I'm going to start our first round of narrative spins with a left narrative provided by Guardian. Jim Jordan aided Trump in his illegal attempts to overturn the 2020 election and conspired with the then-president on the January 6th Capitol riots. If he were to assume this role, it would be disruptive, if not dangerous, for America's political climate. We counter that with a right narrative coming from Fox News. Jim Jordan can unite all wings of the Republican Party and already enjoys backing from most members. He has doggedly held the Biden administration to account over the past three years, has consistently stood up for Republican values, and could be the perfect solution for the post-McCarthy era. And the nerds of the Metaculous Prediction community are going to get things started on this round of spins with a nerd narrative that says that there's a 57% chance that Representative Jim Jordan will be elected to replace Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. Putin announces the successful test of a nuclear-powered missile. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Associated Press, The Drive, Al Jazeera, Guardian, and CNN. Russian President Vladimir Putin announced on Thursday that Russia had successfully tested an experimental nuclear-powered missile, reportedly having a potentially unlimited range. Without providing details, Putin said that Moscow had conducted, quote, the last successful test of the harder-to-detect Bruveshnik, or Storm Petrol, in Russian, cruise missile. Codenamed Skyfall by NATO, the next-generation missile system, first mentioned by Putin in 2018, is also a nuclear-armed strategic weapon. 
The Russian president also confirmed that Moscow had additionally completed the Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile development and is planning to put both weapon systems into production. Though he said there was no need to change Russia's nuclear doctrine, Putin warned Moscow could theoretically revoke ratification of the 1996 Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. The Soviet Union's last nuclear test was conducted in 1990. While there's no evidence that either Russia, the U.S., or China are preparing to conduct nuclear tests, satellite imagery reportedly shows that the three countries have built new facilities at their nuclear test sites. Adam, thank you for those facts. We begin this round of spins with a pro-Russian narrative coming from TASS. The final successful test of the Brevznik cruise missile is clear evidence that the Western nations have failed to unfairly contain Russia. While the U.S. accuses Moscow of nuclear saber-rattling, it's Washington that has signed but not ratified the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Russia has both signed and ratified. Given the West's continued aggressive behavior and deepening Cold War mentality, Moscow is forced to develop its nuclear deterrent capabilities to defend Russia's national sovereignty. And that's going to be countered with an anti-Russia narrative provided by New York Times. Even though Putin spoke of a successful final test of the experimental cruise missile, it might still be years away from development. However, the missile posed an immense global danger because its potential range, explosive power, and capability to release harmful radioactive emissions in the event of an explosion or malfunction. Moreover, because the new START treaty expires in 2026, Russia might unleash a new global and uncontrolled nuclear arms race with this irresponsible show of force. This story has also generated a narrative C, and it's coming from time. The U.S. and Russia are set to further intensify their nuclear activities in a number of areas. While both sides remain committed to the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, mutual mistrust limits the prospects for productive arms control talks. However, Washington and Moscow have managed to overcome their differences and commit to nuclear arms control in the past. Renewed negotiations are not only in the international community's interest, but also in the strategic interest of both countries. And this round of spins is going to land on a nerd narrative that says there's a 17% chance of war between the U.S. and Russia before 2050. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Disturbing news coming from Syria, where at least 89 have been killed in a drone attack on a military academy. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, France 24, CNN, Reuters, Al Jazeera, and BBC News. Syria's health ministry stated that 89 people, including 31 women and 5 children, were killed on Thursday in a drone attack on the Homs Military Academy during a crowded graduation ceremony, with up to 277 others wounded, some of them in critical condition. The Britain-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights reported an even larger death toll with 123 dead, including 54 civilians, 39 of them women and children, as military personnel and their families were attending the event in the central Syrian city of Homs. Though there was no immediate claim of responsibility for the aerial assault, the Syrian government claimed that terrorist organizations backed by well-known foreign actors were behind it, with armed forces vowing to retaliate against those who planned and executed the attack. Overnight, Damascus troops reportedly fired artillery shells into opposition-held areas in the northern provinces of Idlib and Aleppo, allegedly killing multiple civilians and prompting authorities to cancel group Friday prayers amid fears that mosques could be attacked. UN Chief Antonio Guterres voiced his deep concern over the drone attack and the retaliatory measures, while Russian President Vladimir Putin reportedly sent condolences to his Syrian ally, President Bashar al-Assad. Damascus declared three days of national mourning. 
Syria's crisis began in 2011 when peaceful pro-democracy uprisings turned into a full-scale conflict that has killed over 500,000 people, internally displaced nearly 7 million, and led another 6 million to seek asylum or refugee protection abroad. Thank you, Eric. We're going to start this round of spins with an establishment-critical narrative provided by al Maadin. This terrorist attack was a wicked act of cowardice carried out by those who have long been deeply aligned with international parties. Violence and instability will only continue alongside the U.S. and Turkish occupation. It's about time for the illegal occupation forces to leave Syria and be held accountable for assisting these groups. The pro-establishment narrative comes from Al-Arabia. The treacherous attack must be condemned in the strongest possible terms, but it cannot obscure the fact that it is the Assad regime that has unleashed the violence in the country. Along with its Russian and Iranian backers, the bloody regime committed unspeakable crimes against its own people. Any normalization of relations with Damascus would mean complicity in the ongoing violence. And the nerds at the Metaculous Prediction community are going to wrap up this spin. They think that there's a 50% chance that Syria will no longer be classified as being in a state of civil war by February 2028. Russia has been condemned over a Kharkiv strike that has killed 52. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Ukranska Pravda, and Associated Press. Russia has faced wide condemnation for a missile strike which hit the village of Horoza in the northeastern Kharkiv region on Thursday. Initial reports suggested that 51 civilians were killed in the attack. On Friday, the figure was revised to 52 after an additional person died in hospital. Ukrainian officials said that people were attending a wake at a cafe when the missile hit. A grocery store was reportedly also struck. At that time, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was attending a summit of roughly 50 European leaders in the Spanish city of Granada. He denounced the strike as a demonstrably brutal Russian crime and a completely deliberate act of terrorism. The act was also condemned by officials from the U.S., U.K., and Germany, as well as top officials from the EU. Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, called the strike horrifying and said it demonstrated why the U.S. is doing everything it can to help the brave people of Ukraine to fight for their freedom, to fight for their democracy. Additionally, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the strike demonstrated the depths of depravity Russian forces are willing to sink to, according to a Downing Street spokesperson. Thanks, Adam, for laying out the facts of that story. The pro-establishment narrative comes from Guardian. This horrifying attack, which took place as civilians were going about their ordinary business, is yet another illustration of Russia's depravity. The incident vividly demonstrates why the West must continue to support Ukraine. The pro-Russia narratives provided by TASS. Russia has repeatedly said that it does not target civilians. All strikes by Moscow forces are directed at military targets, including military warehouses, fuel depots, and training facilities. The nerds from Metaculus give us a narrative saying that there's a 2% chance that there will be a deadly clash between U.S. and Russian armed forces before 2024. In our next story, a jailed Iranian activist wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Al Jazeera, CNN, Associated Press, Sky News, and Guardian. Imprisoned human rights activist Narjis Mohammadi has won the Nobel Peace Prize in honor of her campaign for women's rights in Iran and her, quote, fight to promote human rights and freedom for all, the Norwegian Nobel Committee announced on Friday. 
Mohammadi, who has advocated for women's rights and the abolition of the death penalty in Iran, is the deputy head of the Defenders of Human Rights Center, founded by fellow Nobel laureate Shireen Ebadi. According to the Norwegian Nobel Committee, the 2023 Nobel Prize recognizes the hundreds of thousands of people who in the preceding year have demonstrated against the theocratic regime's policies of discrimination and oppression targeting women. Vowing to be more resilient, determined, hopeful, and enthusiastic, Mohammadi, currently serving a combined 31-year jail term, said she will never stop striving for the realization of democracy, freedom, and equality. Meanwhile, responding to the news, family members of Mohammadi, who is barred from seeing her husband and children, said that the award was a, quote, source of solace for our indescribable suffering. However, Iran criticized the move, claiming that the decision to award the prize to a person who was convicted of repeated violations of laws and criminal acts is political and inconsistent with the Nobel Peace Prize's original purpose. Thanks for the facts, Eric. We're going to start with an anti-Iran narrative provided by Guardian. The Nobel Peace Prize to Narges Mohammadi is a rebuke to Tehran's theoretic leaders and a boost for anti-government protesters. It highlights the bravery of Iranian women who have demonstrated tremendous courage in the face of reprisals, intimidation, violence, and detention. IRNA provides the pro-Iran narrative. By giving the Nobel Peace Prize to a criminal charged with spreading propaganda against the state and endangering national security, the West, which uses women's rights and equality to destabilize independent nations, is seeking to flare up anti-Iran tensions in the region highlighting the paradoxical nature of this decision. The EU seeks new talks on Nagorno-Karabakh. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Associated Press, Al Jazeera, DW.com, France 24, and Euronews. On Thursday, Charles Mikel, president of the European Council of EU leaders, revealed that he had invited Armenian Prime Minister Nikos Pashinwan and Azerbaijani President Ilham Aliyev to meet in Brussels by the end of October to discuss the conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. Following a 24-hour campaign by Azerbaijani forces in the contested territory of Nagorno-Karabakh beginning in September 19th, over 100,000 individuals, more than 80% of the region's population, are believed to have traveled to Armenia. The conflict between the two countries over the territory initially began in 1988, following the fall of the USSR. Speaking to reporters at the summit of the European political community in Granada, Spain, Mikel stated, We believe in diplomacy. We believe in political dialogue. Five-way talks between Armenia, Azerbaijan, the EU, France, and Germany were previously scheduled to take place in Granada, with officials in Baku describing Ali's absence as down to an anti-Azerbaijani atmosphere. Azerbaijani state media also said Tuesday that Aliyev would also attend three-way talks with Armenia, but none that include France. While Mikhail claimed that the EU was to be a neutral mediator with no agenda on the matter, the news comes as the European Parliament adopted a resolution accusing Azerbaijani troops of ethnic cleansing and engaging in threats and violence. President Aliyev refrain from attending the summit, alongside diplomatic ally Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who said he had fallen ill with a cold. Josep Borrell, the EU's highest-ranking diplomat, described the lack of presence by both as a shame. Those were the facts, and our round of spins begins with Narrative A coming from the Armenian Mirror. While EU officials continue to state their concerns surrounding ongoing events in Nagorno-Karabakh, Armenians cannot help but feel angered by years of pleading for help and assistance falling on deaf ears. 
The EU is well aware of Azerbaijan's policy of ethnic cleansing and yet continues its mantra of apathy in the face of a potential genocide. The EU must make a clear decision to protect human rights and the values of democracy it has so often championed in rhetoric or else completely undermine the justification for its very existence. And Azir News is going to wrap that up with the narrative B. If the EU and its consequent member states and officials are incapable of achieving any concrete policy success in Grenada, Azerbaijan must question why it would listen to its veiled demands for discussions in favor of Armenia. Unfounded allegations against Azerbaijan continue to be leveraged by Armenia worldwide, without confrontation, as it continues to refuse to acknowledge Baku's sovereign right to Nagorno-Karabakh. Azerbaijan is not the problem when it comes to establishing peaceful coexistence. Donald Trump allegedly revealed secrets to an Australian businessman. And here are the facts as agreed upon by ABC News, Guardian, New York Times and Al Jazeera. According to published reports, months after leaving office, former President Donald Trump allegedly shared sensitive information about U.S. nuclear submarines with Australian businessman Anthony Pratt. Special counsel Jack Smith was informed of the possible disclosure during his team's investigation into Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents. Pratt, a billionaire member of Trump's Mar-a-Lago club, reportedly shared Trump's disclosures with at least 45 people, including employees, journalists, and foreign and Australian officials. Pratt was interviewed as part of Smith's investigation, but sources claim that it was unclear whether Trump was exaggerating during the conversations. Trump allegedly revealed two critical pieces of information about the capabilities of the subs after Pratt, who owns one of the world's largest packaging companies, wondered if Australia should start purchasing its submarines from the U.S. The classified documents investigation produced 40 criminal counts against Trump, who also faces 55 other counts in three other cases, including four federal charges from Smith's team relating to the 2020 election. Thanks for the facts, Eric. The anti-Trump narrative is provided by Daily Cause. The worst-case scenario has unfortunately come to bear. Not only was Trump hoarding classified documents at his private club, but he was also sharing sensitive information during conversations with club members. These chats are too difficult to verify or quantify, but it's no surprise his disdain for the U.S. government resulted in his sharing of the nation's secrets with private citizens. Follow that up with a pro-Trump narrative coming from Town Hall. These reports are hearsay, and if Smith had anything solid related to Trump's chats with Pratt, the special counsel would have included this supposed incident in his indictments of Trump. The Biden Department of Justice has lied too many times for anyone to believe what it says without irreproachable evidence. And the nerds of Metaculus think that there's a 50% chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. A man is arrested twice for bringing firearms to the Wisconsin Capitol. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, USA Today, NBC, Journal Sentinel, and Forbes. On Thursday, Wisconsin police stated that an illegally armed man who had visited the state's capital seeking to speak with Governor Tony Evers on Wednesday returned to the building later that night with a rifle after posting bail. While initially arrested and released on bail, Joshua Plesnik, who was later taken into protective custody and hospitalized. Plesnik had reportedly asked to speak to Governor Evers concerning, quote, domestic abuse towards men. According to a spokeswoman for the Wisconsin Department of Administration, the armed individual arrived around 2 p.m. and 9 p.m. local time. 
Firearms may be brought into the capital if they are concealed in tandem with the ownership of a correct permit. With the public having free access to the building between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., the capital spokesperson stated that there was no immediate plans for security measures to be changed. An initial report provided to lawmakers is claimed to have described Plesnik as likely to have access to a large amount of weapons. Speaking to the media on Thursday, Ever stated that he was okay while continuing that the incident was why we have good people in the police departments. Last summer, Evers was named, alongside Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Senator Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, on the hit list of a gunman allegedly to have murdered a Wisconsin judge. Evers won re-election in 2022, having initially ascended to the role in 2018 following 10 years as the state superintendent of public instruction. Adam, thank you for laying out those facts. We look at the first spin, and it's a Democratic narrative coming from the New Republic. The second time that Evers has been targeted by a gunman, the event at Wisconsin's Capitol perfectly sums up the growing crisis surrounding firearm possession and political acts of violence within the U.S. Those who have championed progressive causes, such as Governors Evers and Whitmer, shouldn't have to live with the threat of being shot because of their visions for public office. And Democratic narratives are usually followed up with Republican narratives. We've got one here provided by National Review. While moral arguments for gun control may seem noble to those on the left, they're completely redundant without any acceptance of the constitutional realities of firearm possession in the U.S., despite continued claims otherwise, the Second Amendment is clear in the rights granted to each and every American citizen, and it is highly unlikely that this will ever change. The nerds from Metaculus have a narrative. They say there's a 0.2% chance of the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution being amended or repealed before 2025. The U.S. added 336,000 jobs in September, nearly doubling expectations. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Yahoo Finance, Fox News, Reuters, and New York Post. The U.S. blew past the economist forecasts, adding 336,000 jobs in September, despite Washington's efforts to cool the economy and lower inflation. The increase to non-farm payrolls nearly doubled the 170,000 expected by Bloomberg's survey of economists. The Bureau of Labor Statistics released the data Friday, while revising job figures from August and July to show that 119,000 more jobs were created in those months than initially reported. The unemployment rate remained unchanged at 3.8%, and job gains were dispersed across various sectors. Leisure and hospitality, 96,000. Government, 73,000. And healthcare, 40.9,000, saw the largest increases last month. The startling report sent shockwaves throughout the economy as the benchmark 10-year Treasury note jumped more than 13 basis points to a 16-year high of 4.8874%. After a slow start Friday, stocks rallied with the Dow Jones, S&P 500, and NASDAQ composites seeing moderate gains. However, the job growth poured cold water on the Federal Reserve's hopes that its policy of hiking interest rates would slow down the economy and bring inflation down to a benchmark rate of 2%. The Fed will meet again on October 31st, November 1st, and is expected to raise rates another quarter percentage point. The Fed will pay close attention to the next Consumer Price Index, or CPI, report on October 12th. Inflation rose 3.67% in August, far above the 2% target. Thanks, Eric. We're going to start this round of spins with a pro-establishment narrative by Washington Post. September's shocking jobs report is a wonderful reminder of how the U.S. economy continues to thrive despite rapid alarmism from detractors. The recovery from the COVID pandemic has been a struggle the entire world has had to deal with. 
and few countries have rebounded as successfully and as quickly as the U.S. has. Because businesses remain fully open, many sectors are experiencing a boom that is being enjoyed by millions of Americans. While there may be some concerns about inflation, continued job growth should still be considered a good thing for the economy. And we follow that up with an establishment critical narrative coming from Zero Hedge. Not only is the U.S. economy not performing in the way the Federal Reserve and Washington, D.C. want it to, but its, quote, job growth isn't helping as many working Americans as one would think. Despite a reported 336,000 new jobs, unemployment stayed the same, and the number of newly employed workers only rose 86,000, a five-month low. Most of the job gains were part-time, while many full-time workers actually lost their jobs. Inflation remains high, and workers are forced to take on multiple gigs to offset the decline in full-time opportunities. The world records its hottest September in history. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Yahoo News, France 24, The Japan Times, Daily Sabah, and WION. According to the EU's climate monitor, the Copernicus Climate Change Service, or C3S, last month showed unprecedented temperature anomalies and was by, quote, an extraordinary margin the hottest September on record. The study further noted that 2023 is on track to be the warmest year on record. C3S data shows that September's average surface air temperature was 16.38 degrees Celsius, or 61.5 degrees Fahrenheit, to 0.93 degrees Celsius, higher than the month's 1991 to 2020 average, and 0.5 degrees Celsius higher than the previous record. As the globe flirts with the breach of a benchmark warming limit, Last month's temperatures, according to the report, constituted the most anomalously warm month in their dataset, dating back to 1940, and was 1.75 degrees Celsius hotter than normal September temperatures during the pre-industrial era of 1850 to 1900. According to Carlo Buontempo, director of C3S, with a climate perspective, this year has seen the most incredible September ever. Climate change is not something that will happen 10 years from now. Climate change is here, he said. The experts further caution that higher global temperatures are anticipated for the rest of this year as a result of El Nino, a weather phenomenon related to the warming of the Pacific Ocean. El Nino, they stated, likely means temperatures will continue to rise throughout 2023. Adam, thank you for those facts. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Politico. Despite the international agreement signed in Paris eight years ago, the world is still far from meeting its targets of slowing global warming. Droughts, fires, melting ice caps, and other natural disasters are becoming more frequent. COP28 must now be placed front and center, with the top priority of getting our planet back on track. The Earth still has a chance, so it's up to the governments of every country to listen to the demands of their people. The Telegraph is going to continue the spin with a narrative B. Climate and environmental disasters have been inaccurately predicted by modern-day doomsayers for decades. None of the apocalyptic predictions have come true so far, and this time is no different. Even according to the UN's climate czar, this type of apocalyptic rhetoric paralyzes people with fear, which actually deters them from taking action, rather than giving them hope for a better future. The climate is changing, but fear-mongering is not the way to persuade the world to take action. And our final nerd narrative coming from the Metaculous Prediction community says that there's a 50% chance that the average global temperature in 2100 will be at least 2.49 degrees Celsius higher than the average global temperature in the year 1880. 
Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Saturday, October 7th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers, and we figure out which ones are about the same stories. Find out more at Verity.news. You can also download the Verity app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. Thank you.